Romans chapter 8. We're going to look again at verses 18 through 23. Verses 18 through 23. And this is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We'll stop there. Uh, last Sunday, we began looking at these verses together. And the way, we, the way we began was by drawing your attention to some of the natural disasters that took place in the year 2013. This morning I want to remind you that those obvious examples of creation's groaning are certainly nothing new. I imagine most of us have heard about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in the year 79 AD and the record that we have in plaster of how the flowing lava overcame the people as they sought to flee. In 856 A.D. in Iran, there was a 7.9 earthquake that killed over 200,000 people in that nation. 586 A.D., there was an earthquake that struck the city of Antioch, killed over 250,000 people. Over 15 years in the second century, the Roman Empire was affected by a plague that killed over 5 million people, including the emperor. In 373 B.C., the city of Heliki was hit by an earthquake and a tsunami that resulted from that earthquake that actually submerged the entire city in the Gulf of Corinth. And we're told that people for centuries after could come and look into the water and see the ruins of the city underneath the water. Uh, historians tell us that perhaps the worst natural disaster that has ever occurred was the bubonic plague pandemic that hit the Byzantine Empire beginning in 541 AD and in, until the mid-700s it would return. Every generation it would return and altogether they think that plague killed over a hundred million people. So how do we respond when we hear about those kinds of events. Well, it's a reminder to us of what our passage is teaching. That this creation in which we live is groaning. We saw last time that this word refers to a deep groaning, a groaning from the heart. It includes this sense of ache, it includes this sense of longing. We see the word used of Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, the groaning of Christ in the garden. Speaking of Christians, 2 Corinthians 5.2 says, In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 
Just as Christians groan in these frail, broken bodies and long for the day when we will be well and whole, so creation itself is groaning. I've said many times in this pulpit that I don't know of much that I hate worse than a stomach virus. They're just awful. And I know some have experienced that in recent days. And there's that sense of groaning of, you know it's going to pass. You know it's going to be over. You just want it to hurry up and be over. And there's that deep ache, that deep longing, that groaning for wholeness, for health. Well, we spent our last time looking at what happened in the past that put creation in this state. And we saw that it was man's sin that brought this curse upon the world we live in. This world was to be our domain. This world was to be the place over which we are to have dominion and imitate our God. And when we fell, the curse that God pronounced fell not just upon us, but upon our domain, upon the world over which we were to rule. What does this mean practically? It means the earth has lost much of its original beauty, much of its original glory. Just as the human mind and the human body has become weaker and frail, our abilities lessened by the fall, so this world has been made weaker and frail. This earth no longer has the stability it once had. Animals do not relate to man as they once did. Death is everywhere. Plants die. Animals die. Human beings die. The whole natural world is caught up in God's righteous judgment against man. And just as the whole earth was once judged in a great flood, so it will be judged again in a great fire. So we've looked at what happened in the past to bring creation to this state. Right now I want us to consider what's going to happen in the future. You see, our passage tells us that creation is waiting. Waiting with eager longing. It's it's groaning for something that's ahead. What is creation groaning for? What is creation longing for? What is the coming future of creation? Well, our passage answers that in three phrases. Three phrases in this paragraph that tell us about the future of creation. We're going to spend most of our time on the first one. Okay? Look at verse 19. Verse 19. We read there that creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is longing. Creation is groaning. Creation is waiting. What is it waiting for? The revealing of the sons of God of God what does that mean the sons of God are those spoken of in verse 15 those adopted by God Christians it includes you if you are a follower of Christ creation is waiting creation is groaning creation is longing for something to happen to you and to all of the other children of God And what is creation waiting to happen to us? The word used here is the word revealing. Revealing. In the Greek, it's the word apocalypsis, from which we get our word apocalypse. We can say that creation is eagerly awaiting the apocalypse of the children of God. The apocalypse of the sons of God. 
But what does that mean? Well, the word helps us. Uh, Calypsis, apocalypse, calypsis, refers to something being covered, something being concealed, something being hidden. Apo, apocalypse, apo, means away from. And so the idea of the word apocalypse is something being uncovered. It's the idea of taking the lid off of something to reveal what's inside. It's the idea of something that wasn't seen before now being revealed. It's taking something that was not seen, causing it to be seen. The curtains are drawn back and it is displayed. In fact, this word is the word used as the title of the last book of the Bible. Revelation. Christians are going to be revealed. Christians are going to be uncovered. Christians are going to be seen as they've never been seen before. And this is what creation is waiting for. This is what creation is groaning for. How are God's children going to be revealed? Well, remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. When you read a verse, it is always good to ask it questions and then to find your answers to those questions in the rest of the Bible to shine light on that text. So does the Bible speak of something that we could call the revealing of the sons of God, of the children of God? It absolutely does. I want to submit to you that there are at least three ways that the Bible speaks of the children of God being revealed number one the sons of God are being revealed through conversion through conversion remember God already knows who are his the good shepherd knows his sheep he calls them by name and they come to him revelation tells us twice that the names in the Lamb's book of life were written before the foundation of the world. There can be no doubt that God has already chosen from eternity past who His children are, who those people are that He is going to show mercy to. Remember Acts 13, verse 48, Paul and Barnabas are preaching in that city of Antioch, and we are told, when the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Lots of people heard the gospel. But it was those who had been appointed to eternal life who believed. In Acts 18 verse 10, God tells Paul, Stay in the city of Corinth. Keep preaching here. Because I have many in this city who are mine. They don't know their mind yet. They haven't been revealed yet. But I know their mind. And through your preaching, I'm going to save them. I'm not going to take time to preach on election this morning. We just read about it. But we do confess with Scripture that all of the people on planet Earth can be separated into two groups. Those chosen by God who will hear the gospel, they will believe the gospel and those who will continue in their sin, those who will continue in unbelief till their deaths. God knows whom He has chosen. As we will see when we go to Exodus, He has mercy on whom He has mercy, 
and he hardens whom he hardens. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would urge you to realize that your fate is in the hands of God. And it would behoove you to get on your knees and to pray that God would be merciful to you. Pray that God would give you faith in Jesus Christ as evidence that you are one of His, one of His children, one of the sons of God. But here's the thing. While God knows those whom He has chosen, you and I don't. We don't have access to the Lamb's book of life. We are called to take the gospel to everyone. We are called to to plead with people everywhere to turn from their sins and believe. Sometimes we're surprised by who believes and who doesn't. How often do we meet someone, maybe even a, a child, with a particularly meek and a particularly humble spirit, and we think, you know what, surely that child is going to grow up to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to our great sadness, that child never believes. Maybe that child grows up to be what we would consider a decent adult in society, but there's no real love for Jesus. There's no real commitment to God. And then at the same time, maybe there's a child, maybe even a sibling, who was always rebellious, who was always disobedient, who was always full of pride. And we would have said, "Mm, I don't know about that child. I don't know that that child will ever be converted. And by God's grace, that's the one that God comes to and saves. And all of that energy that was once spent in rebellion is now spent in the service of God. Have you ever been surprised by a revealing of a son of God? Have you ever seen someone come to Christ and it, and it shocked you? Um, I remember the first time I, I heard that Alice Cooper, right? School's out for the summer, 70s crazy rock star. Alice Cooper is now a professed believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and fairly open about it. And you're like, really? <laughs> you know? Interesting. Occasionally you'll hear of... of, of Mass murderers, psychopaths, people who are put in prison for heinous, horrible crimes. And you'll learn that not only are they professing faith in Jesus Christ now, but they're leading ministries in their prisons. You think, wow, that's the grace of God. Of course, then you remember, well, he saved me, right? So you knew he was gracious. Creation must remain under the curse until all of the sons and daughters of God are revealed. All of God's people must come to Christ and be saved. The Bible speaks of these days as the days of the ingathering of the elect. Matthew twenty four fourteen. the gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed among every people group. And only then, when the church is built, only then, when the citizenry of the kingdom of God has been fully established then the end will come and so creation is not going to be made new creation is not going to be restored until that day comes and so creation is waiting for that day it's it's groaning it's longing for that day when all the people of God will have been revealed through conversion second 
this revealing of the sons of God may refer to the day of judgment. This revealing of the sons of God may refer to the day of judgment. Remember, it's at the day of judgment that the final accounting of who are God's children and who are not will be forever made known. Jesus taught it to us this way. He said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and before Him will be gathered all the nations. You're in here. I'm in here. Before Christ on His throne will be gathered everybody, all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, friends, there is a great day of separation that is coming. You will either be identified as a sheep, or you will be identified as a goat. You will either be identified as wheat, one of God's people, blessed and welcomed into heaven. Or you will be identified as chaff, cast away and thrown into the furnace. Surely nothing is more important in your life than making sure that you are a child of God. Surely nothing requires more utmost diligence than ascertaining your election, we read in our confession a while ago. Remember what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and teach Sunday school in your name, serve as a deacon in your name, care for others in your name, give offerings in your name, go on that mission trip in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's on the day of judgment that it will be clear who are the sons and daughters of God who had real God-given faith in their hearts. Today, God's children are made known by their fruit. Today, God's children are made known by their faith and their love and their patience and their goodness. Our fruit comes through our union with Christ. We know Christ. We experience His patience towards us, His love towards us, His goodness towards us. It fills us up so that we overflow onto others. But there are people who can really put on a good show aren't there? And there are many who seem like they're Christians. At least they speak the language. One day we will find out, no, they never really had true love for God in their hearts. That great revealing of who are God's people will happen on the day of judgment. Then creation will be made new. And so creation is groaning and longing for that day. But third, and I think this is the main meaning of the text, the revealing of the sons of God refers to the revealing of their glory. The revealing of the sons of God refers to the revealing of their glory. 
The other two meanings I told you are true. They come alongside this one. But I think the context says that this is what Paul has mainly in mind. Namely, right now, God's children don't look all that glorious. Right now, God's people don't look like anything special at all. And verse 18 says that we are waiting for a glory. We are waiting for a glory that is to be revealed to us, or it can be translated a glory that is to be revealed in us. But that day hasn't come yet. And so the children of God in this world are treated terribly. When a great king adopts a peasant and makes that peasant his son, that peasant is suddenly worthy of honor and respect, not because of anything in himself, but because of his relationship to the king. In the same way as God's children, as Christians, there is nothing in us that makes us worthy of honor. There is nothing in us that makes us worthy of respect more than any other person in this world. But God has chosen to make us His own. He has chosen to connect His honor to us. And therefore, how we relate to children of God matters. How we speak to other Christians, how we speak about other Christians, how we treat one another, it matters because these are the children of God. And He is a jealous Father. He loves His children. But Christians don't look all that noble right now. That's why many do not hesitate to mock Christians, to persecute Christians, to imprison Christians, even to kill them. I mentioned the 33 in the prayer earlier. I saw that came out on Friday. 33 selected by the North Korean government. They had contact with a Baptist missionary from South Korea who was trying to get churches planted in North Korea. They were caught, and because they had contact with this missionary from South Korea, they are being scheduled for execution by the North Korean government. Why? Because the North Korean government doesn't believe that these are truly children of God. If they really believed that these were children of God, they would know that executing them is the most dangerous thing they've ever done. Just as people did not see the full glory of Jesus when He walked the earth, but they hated Jesus and they put Him on a cross. So people today do not see the true glory of God's children. In this life, we are a a people who are fighting against our own flesh and we're surrounded by the world and we have the devil against us. Frankly, in the world's eyes, Christians often look quite pathetic. But the creation is waiting for a day when that's all going to change. Peter, James, and John climbed the mountain with Jesus and they saw him transfigured. They saw Jesus for a moment. His face beamed like the sun. His clothes became brilliant, radiant, white. They saw for a moment a tiny bit of his glory and then just as quickly as his glory had been uncovered, it was covered again. The lid was put back on. And he looked like a lower middle class carpenter's son from Nazareth. Soon, very soon, Christians will be clothed in glory and revealed as the glorious children of God that they are by grace. 
on the last day, the day Jesus returns, the day that the dead are raised, God's people will be revealed in their glory. Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, 43, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. Matthew 13, 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I can't answer all your questions about this. There's a lot here that is mysterious. But there is a special glory that God has given to the children of God that has not yet been revealed. And it's going to be revealed. Dear Christian, are you longing for that day? Are you groaning for that day? You see, the whole point of this paragraph is to get us to verse 23, where we read that Christians live with a deep desire for the day of revealing. And so I ask you, is that you? Are are your eyes set on the eastern sky waiting for your Savior to come? The best part of that day is going to be seeing your Savior. But the second best part of that day is going to be you glorified, revealed in holiness and in splendor. You will be strong. You will be wise. You will be good. You will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. Now tomorrow's Monday. Okay? Remember this as you walk through Monday. Set your heart on this day to come as you seek to be faithful on Tuesday. If Wednesday is particularly discouraging, let these truths come to your mind. This is what is ahead for me. And be thankful and rejoice. It's all a gift of grace. And it all comes because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, run to Christ and receive this wondrous salvation. That's our first phrase. Our passage also tells us in verse 21 that creation is waiting eagerly, groaning, do you see it, verse 21? To be set free from its bondage to corruption. It's bondage to corruption. So creation is groaning, it's waiting, it's longing for the revealing of the sons of God in their glory and to be free from its bondage to corruption. You see, when our bodies are made new on the resurrection day, they won't be the only part of creation made new. All of creation is going to be made new on resurrection day. Peter tells us that when Jesus comes back, the final judgment's going to happen. This world's going to be baptized with fire, cleansed with fire, refined with fire, and this world is going to be made new and holy again. Your bodies are just going to be a part of it. Revelation describes it as heaven coming to earth. 
In other words, on that last day, this earth that we walk on right now will be made new and this will be heaven. There will be no more curse. There will be no more corruption. No more decay. No more falling apart. Do you feel yourself falling apart? Do you feel the falling apart of your body? No more on that day. The instability of this earth is going to cease. The natural disasters are going to cease. The death that plagues bring will cease. Animals will relate to us in peace. Plants will do us no harm. There will be no more decay. Creation will have been set free from its bondage to corruption. That's what creation is groaning for. And then the third phrase brings it all together. And it's also in verse 21. Creation is waiting to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Yes, Paul is using anthropomorphic language. Creation doesn't actually have a mind. Creation doesn't have a will that can wait and desire and groan. But Paul is using this kind of language to make something clear to us. This world is not how it was made to be. And there is coming a day when it will be made right again. And it's as if creation is longing to be given back its original good purpose of being the home of God's perfect children. Creation was thrilled to be creation in the days of Eden. And it longs to be Eden again. Creation was meant to be the home of God's children. Creation was meant to be a palace for kings and queens exercising dominion. Creation was meant to be the workplace of skilled people who love cultivating the earth and bringing from it God-honoring art, science, and technology for the glory of God. Creation was meant to be the playground of eternally happy children of God living in His glory, exploring His world, imitating His creativity. This world is not our home, but it once was, and it will be again. And that's the day that creation is waiting for. And it should be the day that we are waiting for as well. well very quickly, we've seen last week how creation got this way. We've seen now what's ahead and what creation is longing for. But what about creation in the present, right here, right now? Well, right now, Paul says, the creation waits with eager longing. Eager longing. The word there is apokarodikia. I'm sure I didn't say that right. It's a very complex word. It's made up of apo, from, kara, head, dikio, to look and watch. In other words, it refers to stretching forth your head to see. You're on your tiptoes. You're looking out. You, you're, you're eager. You want to see what is coming. You're, you're expecting something to appear on the horizon and you don't want to miss it. So you're stretching forth your head in order to see it. This is how Paul describes creation. It's eager. Its head is stretched forward. It's waiting for Jesus to return and all things to be made new. 
Remember, the center and purpose of all things is God. This creation exists for the glory of God. Its role in bringing glory to God is to be the home of God-exalting, God-thrilled worshipers of God. And creation wants to be this. Creation wants to be a, a world set apart in holiness for the purpose which God intended it to have. Notice also that creation is described right now in the present, verse 22, as groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Do you see that? The pains of childbirth. We're told that this has been the case from the fall until right now. And isn't that an interesting way to describe the groanings of creation? Earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, stomach viruses, bubonic plagues, labor pains. That's how the Bible describes that. Labor pains. Listen to John Piper on this. If you're at a hospital and you hear a woman across the hall groan or scream, it makes all the difference in how you feel if you know that you're in the maternity ward and not the oncology unit. Why? Pain is pain, isn't it? No. Some pain leads to life, and some pain leads to death. What verse 22 promises is that for the children of God, all pain is leading to life. All the groanings of this world are the birth pains of the kingdom of God. If you are a part of that kingdom, if you are a child of this king, all of your sufferings are labor pains and not death spasms. Even the death spasms are labor pains bringing you into the kingdom of God. Dear Christian, every groaning of creation, including the groaning of your body when it is hurting and the anguish that you experience in this world, it is not the groaning of a dying creation. It is the groaning of a creation about to give birth to something wonderful. It is the groaning of a creation that knows it is soon going to be reborn and made into paradise just like your soul has been reborn and made new, so this creation and your body will be on the last day. What conclusions can we draw from these verses? The chief lesson is that we are to share in creation's groaning by longing for the day of glory. These verses call us to share in this holy longing for Christ to come back and make all things new and right. Calvin says this, I understand the passage to have this meaning, that there is no element and no part of this world which being touched, as it were, with a sense of its present misery does not intensely hope for a resurrection. Everything, everything you see is intensely longing for resurrection. Are you? Jesus' resurrection was the guarantee that your resurrection day is coming as a Christian. Why are we meeting on Sunday and not Saturday? 
It was this hope that led the people of God to establish the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead, as the day to meet together. Why? To celebrate the day that's coming, our resurrection, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the chief lesson. Literally like a minute per point, I'm gonna give you three other quick points we need to learn from this. Number one, the world in its present state is not on an upward evolutionary trajectory. The world in its present state is not on an upward evolutionary trajectory. Modern science has bought into a very unscientific idea. They've come to a conclusion that is not observable. They've come to a conclusion that they've come to through faith and not by sight. Most scientists seem to think that the world is progressing and getting better. Most scientists seem to think that we are evolving into higher and higher states of nobility and sophistication. Uh, Perhaps a few more million years and human beings will have evolved into creatures that can have world peace and perfect harmony. Our passage rejects that utterly. This creation must die before it can be reborn. It must go through the hard pains of the last hours of labor before the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. It must pass through the furnace before it will be refined and holy. And so right here, right now, the curse is present in this world. We should not expect things to be getting better in the natural world. We should expect things to get worse for the time being. Number two. It should not surprise us when we learn that human beings are damaging this already decaying world. It should not shock us, surprise us, astound us when we learn that sinful human beings are messing up the world they were given to have dominion over. When we read about a coal ash spill, right? It ought not to surprise us. We are stewards of this world. And we've become messed up. We've become twisted. We've become corrupt. Should we really think that that's not going to have an effect on our stewardship? We should not be surprised to find that human beings are polluting the air, polluting the rivers, needlessly slaughtering animals and the like. Should it be proven beyond doubt tomorrow that humans really really have done major damage to the climate of this planet and that the result of the damage that we've done to this climate is going to be more disaster, more death, and more catastrophes. We would be sad to hear that. But we should not be surprised to hear that. (laughs) Because that would just be more confirmation of exactly what the Bible has been teaching. That we are sinful stewards in this world. Now be careful. The fact that this planet is already cursed and falling apart does not give us license to treat it carelessly. Christians ought to lead the way in caring for this world. You and I have been redeemed. We've been made new. And so we should seek to do all we can to continue our original purpose of having godly dominion over this world. So if you are a Christian and you carelessly litter our streets, or you treat animals abusively, or you have no qualms with polluting our waters, I would say there's something wrong with your Christianity. We ought to lead the way in doing what we can to care for this world. And yet, number three, we cannot buy into the idea that environmentalism is going to save this world. We cannot buy into the idea that environmentalism 
is going to save this world because it will not. The fate of this present world is sealed. If we never again cut down a single tree in the rainforest, if we were to save every well from slaughter, if we found a way to fully restore the polar bear population so that there were hundreds of thousands of polar bears again, what good would that do when Jesus comes again and baptizes this world in fire? Everything is going to be burnt up. And I do mean everything. Just as everything was drowned in Noah's flood. Then, on the new earth, there may be polar bears. <laughs> Maybe even talking polar bears. I don't know. We'll see. Right? Then things will be made new. And so as Christians, at the end of the day, we cannot put our trust in environmentalism. We should seek to practice good stewardship of this groaning creation right here and now. But we do not put our hope in this creation. We put our hope in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and his promises, believing that through him, you and I will be on this world made new. Amen? All right, let's pray.